Hey, and welcome to the Badger Talks podcast, the podcast that shares interviews with experts from the University of Wisconsin-Madison community about their work, programs, and research, and what they're like as people, too. I'm your host, Ben Rush. Listening to this podcast will also give you a sneak peek of an upcoming longer talk by each guest. Our guest today, Cliff Robb, will give a talk about financial scams, which affect people of all ages, including young adults, on March 1st at noon central time virtually. A link to the virtual talk, as well as past and upcoming talks, is in the show notes. For now, let's dive into the interview with Cliff Robb. Hi, Cliff. Thanks for joining me on the Badger Talks podcast. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks. Great. Thanks for being here. Let's go ahead and get started per the usual. Could you say your name and pronouns used, please? Yeah, my name is Cliff Robb. I go by he, him. And if someone's going to bump into you on the street, what might you look like today? That's a great question. So I'm tall. I think most people reflect that I'm pretty tall. I am uh, fairly thin in frame. So that's also a fun feature. Any identities you'd like to highlight about yourself? Uh, I mean, I think outside of the university job, my main efforts these days go towards uh, parenting. I have three young children and being a good husband at the house, helping out around the house as much as I can when I'm not here. Wonderful. I imagine they will also grow up to be quite financially literate. As well. hope's kind of, that's the hope, right? Yeah. And that's why you're here. Um, could you explain your association with UW's campus, please? Sure. So I'm an associate professor in the consumer science department in the School of Human Ecology. And so I am the faculty director for our personal finance program, where we have a pretty robust undergraduate program that teaches students uh, all about how to be uh, financial planners, advisors, help out people that are kind of struggling with money challenges and work in financial services industry jobs. Right. And so we had Linda LaPay on last time. I'm glad we have you on here, too, to just manage typical budgeting and finances, um, like Linda was saying, and, you know, my own experience too, we don't always get that background um, in school or with family. How did you first start getting into finances? My journey was kind of uh, random. So when I was an undergraduate at a small liberal arts college, I actually focused on psychology. And so psychology was really fascinating to me. I got to psychology because I was really bad at biology when I, I was my goal was to be a bio biologist and I was like going to college for that. And I really got bad and that was hard in college. So psychology was really, I found that appealing. And afterwards I was looking at different PhD programs about two years after I'd graduated from undergraduate. And I was trying to go directly into like industrial organizational psychology or some other advanced doctoral program and really was getting a lot of rejections and not really didn't realize how the system worked to kind of transition to PhD programs from undergraduate. And I had a friend who was working at the University of Alabama. She was a family friend and she was one of the faculty members in their Department of Consumer Science, which had a personal financial planning uh, kind of extension to it. And she recommended that I look at their master's in consumer science program and consider that as a stepping stone onto like a PhD in that space, because there's a lot of psychology behind the consumer behavior and money behavior. And I got into that master's program and really enjoyed it. But at the same time, while I was earning my master's in consumer economics, I was taking a lot of those personal finance courses just as like 
a way to kind of build a second skill set in case. Because at that time I was like, maybe I'll go on for a PhD or maybe I can use these skills to take a job in like, you know, financial services. And I liked the research part of it a lot. And so I did continue on to a PhD that was in really consumer economics as the focus and consumer behavior. But again, all of my training and teaching was still kind of oftentimes focused in teaching these kind of personal finance courses. So I've been doing it now for, gosh, it's been probably like 17, 18 years of that, counting like the time as a graduate student, as well as my time as a faculty member. Yeah. Is that pretty rewarding for you? I mean, these are the great fundamental skills for everyone to have. Yeah. It's one of the best parts is that, you know, as much as I enjoy, like I, the classroom time is really fun, but it's also really rewarding to be able to talk to students that even our graduates that are like, they're never going to do work in the financial services industry. Like they're just trying to get an undergraduate degree and they've got other objectives or the other things they're going to do with their lives. But then they say like how valuable what they've learned in this major is. So even if they're not going to go on to be a financial services professional, they have so many fantastic skills that they now know will be carried over into whatever life uh, kind of career path they take. Um, and among those that are still focused on the financial services career, it's still really rewarding to kind of help them become future educators and future planners and people that are going to help continue to kind of fight this battle of you know, low financial literacy and those kind of challenges we see. Right. And in addition to your teaching, you're also doing some research. Can you quickly fill us in maybe like a one or two minute pitch of some of the topics that you research? Yeah. So I broadly, so if I would, you know, when I pitch this in my documents that I put together for the university, I kind of put it as the broad umbrella is consumer financial decision making. So anything to do with how people make choices around money. But I do tend to focus on, um, kind of debt decisions. And over the years, it's evolved. When I first started out, when I was younger, um, credit cards were a big deal, especially among younger consumers. Because in the early 2000s, late 90s, it was really easy for anyone to get a credit card if you were basically 18 or older. They didn't care about income. They, didn't, they would just give you a card, right? Um, over the years, that got trickier. There were, you know, legislation changed and things like that. But now it's student loan debt is a big area of focus for me. So I spend a lot of time looking at really the, the young adult financial decision making and how they handle those transitions from either graduating from high school or graduating from college and how they make those later life decisions. Uh, what kinds of choices they're making, why they're making those choices. And a lot of it does have to do with debt management, which is kind of becoming an increasingly challenging aspect, I think, for a lot of young adults. But other areas, you know, I work in a lot of spaces around financial decision making. I know the, the talk I'm going to be doing uh, with Badger Talks, it's focusing on uh, how, helping people identify and recognize scams that come across, especially like social security related scams. But we see scams of all sorts related to finances, right? Um, Social Security right now is kind of in vogue. Sadly, that's one of the areas scammers are really focused on. But a couple of years back, it was IRS scams you'd be getting. Uh, it kind of every few years, the scammers switch which um, who they're basically trying to spoof and, and to keep things fresh, I guess. And they're becoming more and more sophisticated, too. As we catch up to them, they go on to the next means. Yeah. And I, I know you're also affiliated with the Center for Financial Stability. Um, I'm curious if you could just tell us a little bit about that center and maybe why it also exists. 
Yeah, so the Center for Financial Security, just a quick update there, um, is really a nice um, hub for researchers like myself to get together with other researchers on campus. And what I really like about the center's approach, and this is something that's it's not entirely unique to UW, but I think UW-Madison does a really, really good job of it. It's that you create these centers around types of research rather than disciplines, right? So we have we have people from the business school, we have economists, we have sociologists, we have people like myself, all kind of collaborating in that same space. So the CFS offers us a, a place to come together and share ideas, share approaches, uh, create collaborations, create um, ideas amongst ourselves and together to share. And so I really think that's a crucial piece that the university offers that does pay benefits both to myself as a researcher and to, I think, the broader community, both uh, Wisconsin and really the global community, because it really helps, I think, create stronger work. Right. And I, I really like that approach to research. And in addition, like the center offers resources for everyday people, too. Like I was going on there and seeing, you know, there's quizzes you can take for your financial literacy um, and references you know, I'm one of those young people you mentioned earlier with student loan debt. So it's like, oh, great. There's this resource I can turn to to make savvy decisions, which I, I definitely appreciate. Yeah, being able to translate the research is one of the big pieces and not something that necessarily people get trained to do. So if you're a researcher, you may or may not be that good at actually putting your research into a usable context for people. And so the center, I think, really assists in that space. So the audience of this podcast is aim to be a little bit younger, maybe not the people who are typically, you know, quote unquote, scammed by maybe phone calls or emails, kind of typical phishing. But I would also imagine there are some scams that are targeted towards 30, 40 year olds. Any ones that you think we should be particularly aware of? You know, I getting into this research, which I didn't have a bunch of background on before doing this project, um, there's kind of this misconception that scams target and are effective against older Americans. And so the idea is generally thought is that, oh, it's elderly people that are being taken advantage of. And the reality is it's it looks to be more that there's a bias in reporting among older Americans. So they're more likely to report a scam was attempted, but they're not necessarily more likely to be susceptible. So susceptibility is a big distinction, right? Just getting, you know, having scams reach out to you is one thing, but then responding and actually falling forward enough to provide either information or money, that's another big hurdle. And the data actually suggests that really young American adults are just as likely as really old people to be susceptible to scams. So it's it's kind of this interesting, they're the strongest, um, I guess the, the idea is that what we see is a reduction in likelihood of being susceptible to scams as people age. And the peak is kind of around those, you know, 50, 59-ish, where then there starts to be a little bit of a drop-off of greater susceptibility as you age again. So it's just like this weird kind of imperfect relationship where really young people are kind of susceptible and I don't think they're aware of it. And I think you're right. It may not be like they're getting an SSA scam that gets them, like Social Security Administration that might be like, well, why... Why would they reach out to me? But their scammers are using things like Amazon.com. They're using, you know, websites and providers that anyone would be interface interacting with. And so it's just the degree to which they can get you to click a link, 
the degree to which they can get you on a phone call. If they can get you through one step, oftentimes that means they've either gotten a piece of information that's important to them to be able to manipulate your materials, or they can upload malware or some kind of you know virus through the process of you clicking on one link. And so people's ability to identify a false flag offering is really at stake. And there's so many ways they can reach out to you, right? It's email, it's text messaging, it's phone calls. So um, it's really important, I think, for all ages to kind of have that awareness. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you sharing that fact. Like, in my mind, it's like, well, I've been around technology for a while. Like, I'm sure I've got it covered, you know, hover over the links to make sure. But at the same time, when the university has done their practice rounds of phishing scamming, you know, I've at one point, like, just click that link um, accidentally. So young people can still fall for it, too. And they could make this stuff look really scary, right? If you're younger and less attuned to how official organizations would reach out to you and what they would do, you might get an email or a phone call that scares you. They might say, hey, we're going to, you know, this is about to happen to you if you don't respond to this phone call. Um, that's a typical scam approach, right? Is to put fear into people that if they don't take X action, they could be legally liable or jailed or fined. And, and then you just, you see who's, who doesn't realize that that's not how things work, right? Uh, yeah, you've already provided us like so much useful information. I like to at least end with a more just humanizing question. So after work and it, you know, after work is in quotes for faculty members, but what do you like to do to relax or goof off? Well, you know, I've got the three kids that keep me very busy. So doing stuff with them is also is, is tons of fun. So whether it's building Legos or playing with calico critters or Hatchimals, um, uh, then it's we have three dogs. So it's usually activities with the dogs, especially when it's nicer weather. It's a little bit cold this time of year, but uh, I'm not the bravest, strongest Wisconsinite. Uh, but when it's uh, nicer weather, taking the dogs to the dog park is always a super fun thing. There's a great dog park south of town that's many, many acres. And so it's fun to take the dogs to the off-leash big park so they can just run and get their energy out. Wonderful. Well, Cliff, thank you so much for being on the Badger Talks podcast. Thanks for providing this wonderful information and look forward to hear your talk. Perfect. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Badger Talks podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And if you want to catch more of Cliff, check out his talk on March 1st at noon central time. The link to his upcoming talk and talks by other University of Wisconsin experts is in the show notes. Until next time, be well. The Badger Talks podcast is a creation by the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Deeper Than Data Media. Music composed by Bill Purdy and played by the University of Wisconsin-Madison Marching Band. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by Deeper Than Data Media.